Hello, my name is Adam Snyder, and this is Good Bed Movies. I am here, of course, with the, the one, the only, the Adrian Lopez. Adrian, how are you today? I am just like the entry of the gods into Valhalla. Fantastic. <laughs> today we're going to talk about a movie dear to both of us. That movie oh, yeah. Alien Covenant. This movie is special to us, I feel like, together and to our friendships. I, th I think this is one of the first movies we watched together. I remember it came out when I was 16 and it was rated R, so you had to sneak me into the movie theater to watch it. And when it came out, 16-year-old Adam thought this movie was the movie. I thought this and movie was so good. <laughs> I would have agreed with you. I thought this was the best freaking movie of all time. <laughs> Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> wait, go ahead, go ahead. Afterwards, we were both just like, "What wow, was so cool? That was the best movie ever." I get embarrassed thinking about that, but Me also, too. it was so it was so fantastic in the moment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. Actually, I know I know exactly what it was about this movie that made us so excited about it. It was the first Alien movie uh, in, in some time. And actually one of the first alien, new alien movies to, to have a xenomorph in it, which we can talk about later. There are some good performances. This is a good movie. I think this is a good movie. And we were rightfully very excited uh, because it was, it was nice to see a good alien movie. But Prometheus was so divisive amongst fans. But this movie, it was, a, it was a step in the right direction. And I think as fans of the franchise, we were just excited. However, it is not what I thought it was. Rewatching it today was an awakening. Rewatching it was sad, really. I knew I wasn't going to like it as much, but uh, it's, gonna, it's just a movie that gets worse every time you rewatch it. Did you regret rewatching it? No, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we could uh, reminisce together. But man, I agree. I I didn't regret it whatsoever. But I certainly was. I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I was disappointed. For lack of a better term, I was disappointed in what I saw. Again, this movie's not bad, but it's really not as epic as I remember it being. <laughs> and and to think that like I think this movie came out in 2017. Yeah, because I was a senior in high school. Yeah, it came out in 2017, and just a few year, just a few years later, Ridley Scott uh, released Blade Runner 2049. It feels like well produced it, right? He didn't he didn't direct that movie. You're right. I looked it up. Yeah, that came out the same year actually, 2017. What a good movie. He did. He produced it. I'm sorry, you're right. But I guess he had his hands in a lot of honeypots at the time because they both came out this same year. But I don't know, man. Looking back on it, trying to think why I liked it, I think the best way to describe it is the performance in this movie are really good and aesthetically this is a great movie but other than that the writing is really where things get wonky yeah the writing some of the characters because again the acting is good but the characters the, some of the character development is rough I also, I just think we need to clown on what might be the world's shortest James Franco cameo Dude, of all time. This whole episode <laughs> could be me pooping all over that James <laughs> Franco scene. I hated it. What's going on? I did on? too. <laughs> I did too. So I did a little digging. Uh, so let me give the background first. Okay. James Franco is in this movie. He is in this movie for all of two minutes, maybe. Like, tops two minutes. It, it might well be below that. 
However, originally, when James Franco was picked to be in this role, he was a much larger role. I don't know what happened in between. What created this one minute and a half cameo of James Franco? But initially, he was a huge part in this movie. And they uh, they cut it. And instead, he now dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And you literally don't even hear him. You do hear him speak, but you hear him through a video. You don't hear him deliver any lines to anybody else. I guess, uh, in the ship. He's never there in flesh and blood. And it's really jarring and weird. And uh, I mean, I guess it, whatever, like I guess it shouldn't be that weird. Uh, I think it's just weirder because he's James Franco and he's huge. But it was, it's an odd choice. It's really, really odd choice. I don't know why they cut him out, uh, why, why they why they cut out such a huge portion because not only is it odd to see so little of James Franco, it's also just not great for the character development going on because our, our main girl, uh, what's her name? Uh, her name is Daniels, and she's played by Catherine Watterson. Yeah, so our, our main girl, uh, who is our final girl, Daniels, this is her husband. James Franco is her husband, and he dies. And she does a great job of selling the emotional turmoil that she's going through. But the script really doesn't help because you, you don't even meet the guy. So and you don't feel it with her. You're just kind of watching her feel it while you're an empty void staring at a screen. <laughs> or at least that's how I felt. Yeah, and it's just jarring. That's the best way to describe it is this right off the bat, basically, there's, I guess we'll talk about the plot a little bit just to describe the scene. Set the stage. Michael Fassbender, who plays two roles in this movie and acts his heart out, I feel like. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, what carries this movie on his back. He does. He he can't move his legs now because his spine snapped under the weight of this movie <laughs> that he carried. <laughs> Like Atlas yeah. holding up the sky, Michael Fassbender holds up this movie. Yeah, really though. I mean, he he is so impressive in this movie. It's the the one thing I kept saying audibly while watching. But yeah, so his yeah. character he plays two androids. He plays two characters, uh, and you know they look alike because they're androids. The android at the beginning of the movie on the ship. The one that's sort of taking care of this ship of cryogenically frozen humans is named Walter. And this weird blast of energy shoots out from this planet and jars the ship and it wakes up the crew and it's an emergency situation, basically. And in all the chaos, we see one of the pods burst into flames and you get a little glimpse of James Franco inside of that pod. <laughs> and then yeah. he's dead immediately. And it's so bizarre. And then later we see... His his wife, who is Daniels, who is the main character, we see her crying and watching a video on a futuristic iPad, basically, of him <laughs> mountain climbing. And it's just James Franco. And the whole time you're like, why is it James Franco? Is he going to be a part of this movie? But no, that's it. He has, he has all of three minutes of screen time, if that. It's so bizarre. You don't think, oh, this is her husband. Oh, this is sad. The whole time you're just thinking, why is it James Franco? Why? Like, that's a big name and a big face to just plaster on such a minuscule background role. Yeah, it's, it's super weird. And, like, let's not pretend James James Franco is exceedingly talented. I've like he's he's very average. You know, he's famous because he's James Franco. And and honestly, he he's famous for being Seth Rogen's friend. That's how I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be the James Franco to your Seth Rogen. That's a lot but... for both of us, I feel like. <laughs> 
Yeah. But yeah, just a, a odd choice. Don't even know why he was in this movie in the first place. But whatever, whatever. By the time he dies, you forgot about him and you're over it. And we're very quickly thrusted into uh, the new captain's story. And he is just this like dude who's so in over his head and just really makes the worst decision of all time. Yeah, right off the bat, this guy is the worst leader. I think his character Terrible. name is Christopher. I mean, his last name is like Oren or something. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's Christopher Oren. He's way in over his head. He gets upset because they launch James Franco body out into space and like this pseudo Viking funeral. There's a lot of things in this movie, by the way, that Starship Troopers did first in the 90s. Starship Troopers was making fun of this movie before this movie came out. And just like a la Starship Troopers, they send off this dead husband of Daniel's space Viking funeral style. And he gets upset about it. He's like, I told them not to do that. They're disrespecting me already. They already don't follow my orders. Yada, yada, yada. And, and they're like, you suck. You're being a jerk. They're just, she's Her husband died. Chill out. And that's right off the bat. He just starts making terrible decision after terrible decision. And this character sucks because every decision he makes is the opposite of what any rational, normal person would do. It's like, why would you do that? Why do you do that? You're you're stupid. You're wrong. Stop doing this. Bad way to set up this character. Basically, we find out that this ship is a colony ship. The same way we will eventually put people on a ship and send them to Mars. That's what they're trying to do in this ship. Uh, and now the crew's awake because of this disaster. And they are flying by this planet that seems to be able to sustain life. It has an atmosphere. It's got oxygen, plants, all the works. Uh, and so they're trying to decide if they should go back into cryogenic sleep and continue to the planet they were originally destined to go to, or if they should cut their losses and land on this planet. Now, meanwhile, they have discovered some sort of warbled alien signal that came from the planet. Uh, and I think this might be what caused this, they call it a neutrino burst. Uh, that, yeah. That caused this catastrophe in the first place. Uh, and, and that signal was of a woman singing country roads. And Right, which, sorry, just to butt in there, which at this point, at least for me, I couldn't really tell it was a woman, right? That was like the mystery of it. You're not sure if it's a woman. You're not sure if it's a man, what it is. But but my man, Tennessee. Tennessee. <laughs> I never joke about John Denver. So That's Dan another, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? You're going to say the exact same say thing. The same I was about thing, to say. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 say it, say it. Okay, well, Danny McBride plays another character trope that we see in Starship Troopers where he's the pilot with a cowboy hat named Tennessee. You know, in uh, in Starship Troopers, I think the pilot had a cowboy hat and his name was Dallas, I think. I'm right, and there's, sure. a, there's a Dallas in the first movie. Yeah, and I, I think the same thing happens in, like, Event Horizon. I think there's a character named Houston or Tex or something like that. Yeah, this is a thing movies do. It's such <laughs> an obvious trope, but this point it's weird i think i'm trying to just get called florida <laughs> hey florida it doesn't quite ring <laughs> no it's not like tennessee but yeah so he's got the stupid name and the dumb hat that he bought at like a fiesta for 10 bucks i don't know it's awful awful hat it's like warped yeah it's terrible uh, he got it at the flea market and he tries to do an accent but he's danny mcbride so like he doesn't succeed danny mcbride i'd say is the worst actor in this movie i think that's fair but i think i think there were a few other scenes where he was challenged yeah by i some guess other when acting. he loses his wife i suppose and, and nah you know what i maintain that's my criticism of danny mcbride juicy smollier is also in this movie though yeah, and, uh, <laughs> juicy smollett is in this movie <laughs> 
It's it's Juicy Smollett, I think. Chappelle Juicy called Smollett. him Juicy Smollier. Juicy Smollett. <laughs> Once again, another like you know random post bad casting decision. Yeah, yeah. I think Empire was really popular at this point, and so he got this movie. Game. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, so he's in it, much to my chagrin. He's not very important in it, though. No, he's super. I think he has like four lines. Yeah, but uh, not much of Juicy to not be heard. Much juicy, but that's kind of the good thing about this movie is there are a lot of characters. They're all mostly unimportant basically just michael fassbender yeah. katherine watterson and danny mcbride play the only characters of import and billy kerdip to his christopher orham the new captain that's another thing in this movie the ranking in this movie just the captain title just gets handed off one after one after one af- at the end of this movie because everybody starts dying there's a whole crew and they all exist to die they're cannon fodder, and it's glorious cannon fodder. That's one of the best parts of this movie. I completely agree. The kills are great. In this. When the movie becomes a slasher, it really takes off. It sure does. And it happens pretty quickly. You're right. I think that the pacing's strong in this movie. For me, though, I will say, I think the beginning, I think it drags just a little bit. Even with the two seconds of James Franco, I think the movie drags while getting onto the planet. And, and honestly, it's super quick. But there's something there. There's like... Something that was keeping me from really loving the trajectory the movie was on, like in the first quarter. Uh, it might just be that the characters aren't very interesting. I think the most interesting character is Daniels. And and so when she gets more screen time, I think the movie just becomes infinitely better. Yeah, and that's another thing is Michael Fassbender did carry this movie, but Catherine Watterson also did act her heart out for this film. She did good. But I guess we'll fast forward a bit. They are on the planet. Uh, much to Daniels' dismay, she said, this is a bad idea. We have no idea what's on this planet and smart guy captain orem was like we'll do it it's probably fine it's probably safe and they go down there and of course it's called alien covenant uh it wasn't safe so basically they they a few of the crew members step on these spores there's these black funguses that release spores that enter their bodies and that creates xenomorphs in this movie or neomorphs as they're called they're they're like pre-xenomorphs they're xenomorphs that are more human looking more fleshy they're pale uh, and they don't have that sort of industrial giger look to them which they look cool i think they do look very interesting but removing the giger-esque industrial aspects of the xenomorph is it just doesn't sit well with me so a horrible accident has befallen us. This has never happened before, but I suppose it was bound to happen eventually. Halfway through the episode, the recording was lost, sadly. So I'm going to summarize the rest of the plot, and then we'll give our closing statements. <laughs> The crew members are infected, clearly things are going wrong, they're getting like sick, and there's this fantastic scene where a neomorph bursts out of the spine of one of the infected crew members, there's two infected crew members, and is like this evil cat basically, and just claws to death uh, the woman that was sort of trying to operate on him, and it escapes the ship, the like little lifeboat ship we'll say that they came down to the planet in explodes and then the neomorphs are messing up the crew and then suddenly a a bright flash of light shoots up into the sky and bam that's where we're introduced to david michael fassbender's other character david being the android originally seen in prometheus is the only character that spans both of the movies so david takes them back to his lair which is in this horrible necropolis filled with these humanoid burnt corpses it looks like 
like some sort of strange alien Pompeii, and he shows them around. He he acts all hospitable, and he gets just like super philosophical, basically. And it's revealed later that he's the one that caused the city's destruction. He is the one that released like a paveload of the pathogen that we see in these spores onto the city, and it just ate up all the engineers, which the engineers are the alien species we see in Prometheus. The idea is they created humans, which herein lies a big problem I have with this movie. So in the original Alien, this is where we see our first engineer technically, is in the original movie. When they get on LV-426, I think is the asteroid slash planet that they find the alien pods on. There's a abandoned ship and it seems to be like an alien vessel. And in it, they find find this corpse of this massive humanoid with its chest it's like ribcage broken uh and and of course we can gather what happened to this is a chestburster killed this space jockey that's what the community has called it before they were known as engineers and i love the mystery of it they find this huge dead thing and they don't know what it is and we never get a look at it for the rest of the series it's just some alien and here in this movie they try to give the engineers an origin story and they link it with that of humans the name of the franchise is alien so why don't we keep it alien? Like, why does everything have to be involved with people? Why do, why do humans have to have some sort of hand in everything? The engineers are supposed to have created humans, and the humans create androids, David being the first android. And David feels like he wants to create something worthy of himself. Like, he's the logical next step from humans. Humans are the next step from engineers. And that's why he killed all these engineers. And so now he wants to create his own thing. Every other step before him has something to create. So what he has created, it is revealed, is the xenomorphs. He's been toying with the pathogen and editing the neomorphs and everything to try and create the xenomorph. We do eventually see the xenomorph. So there's this great scene where he's like taming a neomorph, basically. He gets, it's like really docile towards him. It just stands. And he says this great line where he goes, blow on the nostrils of a horse and it'll be yours forever or something like that. And, uh... Captain Orem is behind him with a gun and sees him doing this and just lets loose on the thing because of course you would and David gets very upset about it and then Captain Orem's like all right you know cut it out what's going on you're gonna tell me right now or I'm gonna shoot you and so David says okay very well follow me and he does and he leads him into this wet incubation chamber where we find uh the classic face hugger pod and david says why don't you go take a look go look at it and captain orum does like why would you trust him at this point like clearly that's a bad idea and he like looks over in it and it opens up and there's something swimming around inside of it and at this point it's like man shoot david don't go near the thing but he doesn't and then of course a face hugger comes out and impregnates him uh then later he wakes up and the chest burster breaks out of him but it's not a chest burster it's just a tiny xenomorph and this makes it feel like why would they why did he add another step into the xenomorph's life cycle like if a butterfly could be born a butterfly and just never had a caterpillar stage wouldn't it just do that i don't know so this is also something that doesn't make sense to me the like logistics of all the small parts kind of fall apart real quick but basically that's like our first xenomorph technically it's like not exactly a xenomorph it's like a little bit less industrial it looks virtually the same uh in the fan community people call it the protomorph 
protomorph. So that's the protomorph, I guess. So then Danny McBride, Tennessee, comes down to the planet to save the remaining crew members, that being Daniels, Walter, the android, and one more crew member who's, I don't even remember his name, he's just more cannon fodder, basically. But before they do that, David tries to stop them. He tries to capture Daniels so he can perform his heinous experiments on her. And that's when Walter shows up and tries to stop him. Uh, And there's this fight scene that they cut away from before it ends. And this twist you saw a million miles away. So when they all get on the escape ship, basically, Walter shows up and you think, okay, well, it's not Walter, it's David. Like, you know it's David. They don't show the end of the fight and they show David, like, grabbing a knife while Walter isn't looking and it's, like, so clearly him, but whatever. So as as their ship is flying away, the Xenomorph runs towards them and jumps on the ship. And this is another thing I don't like. My brother actually pointed it out to me. The Xenomorph works in these industrial spaces. It hides in the shadows and it blends in with these claustrophobic spacecrafts in these futuristic hallways. But here in this movie, it's alien, but it just takes place in a field. The Xenomorph in this shot is running through the courtyard of this city in broad daylight, and it just doesn't sit so well. It's it's the glimpses of the creature that make it scary, and here's the whole thing just running around. So it kind of takes away from the horror, but I digress again. So the Xenomorph jumps up onto the ship, the little escape ship, and there's this huge fight scene where Tennessee's trying to shake it off and daniels is like give me a gun and give me a give me a harness i'm going to clip myself onto the side of the ship and try to take it out and there's a huge fight scene and there's like this sort of a crane on the ship and i do like what they do here is they end up killing the xenomorph by crushing it with this crane claw which is a nod to the past tradition of this franchise of killing this final xenomorph with some sort of industrial equipment you know in alien 2 sigourney weaver fights the alien queen with this robo suit forklift loader basically and here we see Yet again, a giant cargo claw killing a xenomorph. And, and so that's kind of cool. I like that. And, and the way it dies too is it crushes it and it just explodes and acid blood shoots everywhere. It's great. So they get back onto the ship and all is well, all is good. Daniels is the new captain. So what ends up happening is earlier in the movie, that guy who's cannon fodder that made it back onto the ship got a facehugger on him, but they killed the facehugger and pried it off before they thought it could impregnate him so you think he's safe but then come to find out no he's not daniels wakes up and the overhead computer that they call mother says captain daniels please report to the med bay this unidentified life form and so she's freaking out now she realizes that uh they are not out of the woods then we get this scene of juicy smollett and his girlfriend in the shower and they're shacking up they got like romantic music on and it it pans down to their legs and you can see the xenomorph spiked tail snake its way between their legs then we get a shot of the girl looking up at him and right behind him outside of the shower is the xenomorph and it sticks its tongue through the glass and through juicy smoothie's head and then this woman starts screaming she's covered in blood and it's great uh it's like the most to me this seems like the scariest situation anyone in the alien franchise has been in because you're naked you're wet you're covered in your lover's blood and the xenomorph is standing over you and the horror of that really i i think is nice in our first recording adrian made the point that uh they 
absolutely deserve it because their whole crew died. Every one of their friends is dead. Yet instead of being like mourning or grief or anything, they're still just kind of like having romance time and a shower together. So he thinks they absolutely uh, deserved it. And I, I agree. I think that's a very funny point he makes. And I like that the Xenomorph is now one of the many horror movie icons that has slashed someone in a shower. That's a classic trope. <laughs> and they somehow made it work for the Alien franchise too. So then Danny McBride and Daniels are the only two remaining crew members. They both have guns uh, and, and now they're ready to mess up this Xenomorph. They've got an idea of what to do. Walter, who's really David, is in the cockpit watching all the security cameras to see where the Xenomorph is and he's giving them updates as to where it is. And Daniels is telling the computer to shut down hallways and closed doors in order to sort of corral the xenomorph into this loading bay slash garage then they're in the garage the xenomorph is trapped there she has this strange plan of locking it in the cabin of one of these like giant tractors and then pushing the tractor off into space and it goes almost well she locks it in the tractor then it busts out it shatters the window uh with its head and then is running towards her and she still manages to kill it she gets another one of these tractors to sort of impale the xenomorph with its like forklift uh, on the front and send that off into space and adrian made the point that that's kind of a boring kill and i guess i agree with him and i made the point that these two characters had machine guns the entire time but they never use them like she gets the xenomorph locked in the cabin of a tractor and then doesn't shoot it like it's right there it can't move you could just shoot it but whatever but then here's the best part of the movie is this final scene as much as i've dogged on this movie we love this final scene and i think this is what the both of us were so impressed by when we first saw it in theaters all those years ago so daniels is back in her little cryogenic refrigerator bed tennessee has already been frozen and she's ready to go back to sleep and wait for the next 50 years in cryo sleep so that way she can wake up on orgai 6 and start her new life terraforming the planet with her colony as was the original plan and as she does this she looks at walter who's basically closing the door on her locking her into the chamber and she says walter she says well when we get there uh you're gonna help me build that cabin and he looks at her sort of with this look of unrecognition, uh, maybe confusion. And that's when she realizes this isn't Walter, this is David. Earlier, when her husband died, Walter promised her that because your husband's not here anymore to build that cabin you two always wanted, I'll help you do it. But David, of course, wasn't there for that. He doesn't know about this. And this is when Daniels realizes this isn't Walter, this is David. So she starts screaming. She's trapped in this cryo tube. And he says to her, uh, good night, don't let the big bugs bite i'll tuck in the children and then he closes the door on her and she's frozen and goes into a deep slumber and this is the part me and adrian just went crazy for when i was 16 then he walks to the basically giant refrigerator where they keep all the other humans in the colony and he says mother play wagner das Reingold, act three entry of the gods into valhalla and this classical music starts playing this dramatic score this uplifting rising piece and as he does it he vomits up little tiny frozen facehugger embryos and puts them in storage that's where the movie ends okay so i'm back with adrian so my biggest gripe with the movie is that the aliens are no longer aliens in these prequels you know they they make them have this origin 
that's involved with humans. And same thing with the engineers. They all tie it together in this bizarre creation story. And I much prefer the idea of an alien being like this perfect killing machine the ultimate parasite that it seems to be in the original alien movie but i do understand that this movie takes sort of a strange philosophical turn that i think you can appreciate a little bit more than me you know something that the franchise has played with in several of the entries is they will often make the the androids on each ship wrestle with with their humanity or lack thereof and i think Having the aliens be David's creation after we see how David is treated by Wayland, his own creator, is is really, really interesting, right? It's not that I love it. It's not that I that I, you know, craved for them to have an origin. Honestly, quite the contrary. Like I, I think it's more fun when it's cosmic and more more of the unknown. But for the sake of this movie, I do think it's really interesting and it makes me care a lot more about David, who is already such a strong character because of Michael Fassbender's performance. But now we get to see him really striving toward a creation that is worthy of of him, right? And and he makes that and, and it's cool that he has created the ultimate predator when and when in reality, he was just a creation of man to do services. He he was really nothing, but he achieved so much. And uh, I think it's cool that he's the reason why these terrible, terrible things exist. They're the downfall of so many people throughout the franchise. I just think it's neat. But again, I, I watch this movie as if it exists in a vacuum. I don't really consider it on par with Alien or, or Aliens, for that matter. But I like to watch it standalone. And I really enjoyed it the first time we saw it. And I still enjoy it now. Though I know it's not the incredible cinematic masterpiece that I thought it was back then. Yeah, I think rewatching it definitely. Um, I thought it was way too good initially, but I think now maybe you're right. Maybe I should just be able to separate it from the original more. That's the problem I always have with these movies is I always try to hold it to the standard of the original, and I don't think anything can be held to such a high bar. You know, this is like one of the greatest sci-fi horror movies ever created. You know, nothing else is gonna be that great. I do enjoy this movie i did have a great time rewatching it and i had a great time reminiscing on how we used to talk about this movie and how much we enjoyed it and how big of a thing it was for us at the time that's what made it so fun to rewatch. really was just remembering our first experience and revisiting that and then also just being able to apply all the knowledge we've gained from from watching so many movies together even like not just like talking about them right watching them separately and coming together to talk about them but also like we've watched so many of of these movies together and so many sci-fi movies together it's it's just fun to apply everything we've learned in the process and and look at this with a new view yeah it was really nostalgic it's crazy that this movie of all movies is so nostalgic for me but it is <laughs> so my brother had a copy of this on blu-ray and that's how i watched it but where did you watch it i rented it on amazon prime in 4k for four dollars and i'd say that's a Pretty great way to watch this. In 4K, this is a really pretty movie, at the very least. You know, I think it is worth renting it if you're a sci-fi fan. For anything, the aesthetic, like I say, if you're a fan of this franchise, of course you gotta watch it. I think just the designs of the creatures alone are a great reason to watch it. And originally, I paid at least $5 and snuck into a movie theater. So I thought it was worth it back in the day. Maybe you're not watching it on the theater screen, but you'll still have a good time. I agree. It's 100% it's worth a watch, 100% worth a couple of bucks. I think even for all of its failings, you could still have a good time watching this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you for joining 
having me, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Despite the hiccups, of course. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Goodbye.